If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. As my next guest says, we are living in the era of cities. Since 2009, there are now more people living in urban environments than outside of them. We tend to associate this word environment with climate and climate change, but in its simplest definition of the word, it refers to that space surrounding our bodies, our senses, the indoor and outdoor spaces in which we spend our lives. What would these urban environments be like without green spaces? Our parks, river walkways, playgrounds, bike paths, sports fields, and recreation centers. The city of Minneapolis ranks near the top of all cities in the U.S., having 97% of its population within a 10-minute walk of a park. Absolutely incredible. My guest today is Tom Evers. He's the executive director of the Minneapolis Parks Foundation. Tom and I go way back. We attended the same college together and lived together for a year after graduating, which happened to be one of the coldest winters on record in Minnesota, the winter of 93-94. I remember coming out to find three of my car tires deflated on Valentine's Day that winter. And it's also especially memorable because Tom was canvassing door-to-door that winter in sub-zero temps for the organization Clean Water Action. To me, this has always spoken volumes to Tom's commitment to improving the environment of the communities he has served and dedicated himself to through his work. Tom also happens to be a great storyteller, and in this conversation, he gets deep into the history of our park systems, public spaces, and the complications that accompany acquiring and preserving land in the U.S., Without further ado, here's my conversation with Tom Evers. So I've known you since the beginning of your work in, you know, environmental projects. Yeah. Um, 1993. Yeah, well, we we go back before that, but really, um, right out of college, I um, my first job out of college is working with Clean Water Action, uh, going door to door, fundraising, talking to uh, Minnesotans mostly uh, about issues of uh, mercury in our waters, um, uh, looking at nuclear waste and the storage, long term mm. storage of nuclear waste. Um, we even did some work on NAFTA. On uh, we we were successful in getting the local congressman here to vote against NAFTA um, because of the environmental uh, challenges or what it was going to do for the environment. But yeah, so that was '93, going door to door, talking to people all across the Twin Cities, and asking them to support uh, environmental work. Well, one of the coldest winters on record oh, that I yeah. remember, but, uh, maybe until the polar vortex as well. But that was a brutal winter. It was yeah, that was the winter of '93, '94. Um, and it was, we were out there, I think there was like 10 below zero. You couldn't, they wouldn't have you knocking on doors, but up until that point, and yeah. it was easy to raise money in some ways because people were just come sympathetic. in, come, come in, in. Yeah. Yeah. The others were pretty much thinking we were crazy, but yeah, that was a cold winter. Yeah. Yeah. Was. That was brutal. So, um, so from, from there, I think you, you ended up 
how, how did you end up out out east? You ended yeah, up working for that's a, park a good system? question. I so I um did was in Minneapolis doing canvassing for Clean Water Action for about a year and a half, two years, and realized that I wanted to 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 get out of Minnesota for a little bit. Um, I actually did a stint out in Bend, Oregon. I uh, worked at Glacier National Park. Oh, yeah, and worked that's in right. Bend, Oregon First for, year there. For a winter. Um, uh, just sort of did odd, odd jobs. Um, it was great, uh, great skiing out in Bend, Oregon, and, and really enjoyed it, but was sort of disconnected from um, quite a distance from family and friends and um, had an opportunity to travel across the country over to Vermont because a friend of mine was working there for a group called the Vermont Youth Conservation Corps. And I, I think one thing that I've been lucky to do is have my career focused sort of on a personal mission, things that are really important uh, to that I value. And so um, and I think it was it's always been some focused on either environment conservation or youth development yeah. and, or a combination yeah. of those three. So, yeah, got a chance to work in Vermont leading crews of youth um, in the wilderness doing trail projects. And then for two years with the youth corps there was a park ranger running a state park. Uh, uh, there's a Button Bay State Park on Lake. Well, actually, this was Lake St. Catherine um, State Park and just having a crew of kids. We would do everything you can think about in a park system, in a park, uh, running a park. So everything from cleaning bathrooms to security to running nature programs. But there was a other element of um, uh, curriculum of reading, writing, and discussion. And so we get into topics about um, politics and, um, and, and environmental issues. So I did that for a few mm-hmm. years. I also at that time started working um, in the winters in Montpelier doing development work, fundraising work. Um, I worked for an organization called Prevent Child Abuse Vermont, which had a a book, which was a brilliant book, and I think every state should have it. It's called The Parent's Home Companion. Every mother who gives birth in the state of Vermont is given this book, and it's kind of the operating manual for your child. Oh, wow. And it, um, so I sold ads for it, but really was able to promote it. Um, Aligned those two for a while, so I was doing parks work in the summer, doing sort of nonprofit development and marketing in the winter, um, and that was in the late 90s by that point, and um, I, I was sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to do, um, toyed with the idea of going to law school for a little bit, Oh yeah. Um, and it was actually all set to go to Vermont Law School, but realized that I would... I, I, kind of was aching to get back to Minnesota and, and to, to anchor my life here in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, my family's still in Minnesota. So I moved back and um, and and uh, looked around and actually perfect alignment, uh, ended up working with an organization called the Trust for Public Land, mm-hmm. which is a national organization and was their director of marketing for the, the Midwest region. And that was um, everything I was kind of looking for in terms of using my marketing expertise, my photography, my writing. Um, but, you know, in an organization that's looking at doing acquisition of amazing pieces of land, historic sites for people to use. And, and that gets pretty political at, at a certain point, right? It does. It's um, on many levels. There's the, the funding politics. So to fund... Uh, land and acquisitions and parks, you need strong public funding and you need yeah. committed leaders to do it. Uh, so there's there's some work in supporting that effort to get the public dollars. Um, and then there's the, the community politics, the local politics, making sure people are behind it, um, that they understand its, its reasoning. Um, uh, and and it, for each project we work on, there's a whole list of different circumstances. But the, what I found, what was really exciting about that work is telling the story of what that land was going to be used for, yeah. why that land was, why it was important to the future of that community. 
and also tying in the history, you know, what was the land before and, and um, you know, land is, is not a permanent state. It's always changing. Yeah. What did you look for when you were when you were looking for land in those situations, or how do you how do you acquire land? Oh, that's a so that's a great question. Um, you know, uh, all sorts of organizations do this differently, um, but I think uh, for it to be successful, and this is in the case of the Trust for Public Land, and I think in many organizations, whether the local land trusts or um, uh, parks organizations that are acquiring land. One, you really do need a willing seller. So yeah. you can't, you know, an imminent domain will never lead to a healthy right. um, outcome. You always have some pain that happened. I mean, in some ways, this country was founded on a taking of land. And, and it, not in some ways, it really yeah. was founded yeah. in taking. And so um, where we are today, you want to make sure that the, uh, the whoever owns it, a lot of times it's a family looking, to, they, they no longer have use for it or it's a generational pass down and, and you have the children no longer want to hold that land and yeah. they have different interests. Um, they'd like to get the value out of it. Um, and in other cases, it's a really key piece of a bigger picture. So a trail linkage or a, a biohabitat linkage. Um, so you mm. are, need to be working with landowners to find a solution to do it. Yeah. And then you got to have public funding. I mean, there's yeah. no question that uh, nonprofits help um, leverage public dollars. But if you don't have a strong uh, uh, public funding to do it, you're, you're really not going to make a big impact. Yeah. Where, where did TPL's money come from then primarily? You know, it's uh, a it corporate uh, interest. I mean, is, is no. there any, any corporate? Is it all? So private? it's and, and it's uh, I'm a little I want to be careful because I've been uh, away from TPL for uh, I guess it's almost seven, eight years now. So yeah. I can't really speak for them. But as a national organization, yeah. um, they're really donor donor driven. Wow. Um, landowners made contributions. They uh, there's a whole community of people around the country that that love the work of what the yeah. trust for public land. So sometimes does. it's the people giving the money. I mean, giving the land. Yeah, yeah. And, and the old, it, it, sometimes the TPL is trying to actually purchase or give get money to actually get the land. Yeah, and it has changed over uh, the decades. Yeah, so sure. um, in this country, uh, you know, it used to be uh, organizations could acquire land for really, uh, really cheap and then sell it to the public for land value, the value of the land, and then make up the difference, and the difference goes to the organization. Those days are gone. Um, So it really is about um, finding, uh, you know, there's limited dollars, so you have to make sure that what is available for the public to acquire um, match a bigger community need. Yeah. Um, and that's that's really we're seeing that play out today at, at with with my work here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was and and I think what I love about that work and what I missed when I left TPL is um, stories. Land is a bank for stories. Yeah. You, you I love bringing people to places yeah. and telling them what has happened there before, and then helping them imagine what could happen next. Yeah. Um, and there's just layers and layers, and um, some of the projects we're working on now are just, you know, every story, every people's story that came through this region came through a couple sites we're working on. So that part is That's really a, exciting. There's a, there's a, a guy I'm going to – I think I'm going to do a podcast with him or just uh, kind of help him uh, tell his story about what he's working on in in Brooklyn. Uh, he's He started an app. This is kind of – He's sort of towards the he's, he's he's kind of starting a new career basically. He's, okay. he's he's been a very generous donor. Uh he did a lot of investment work at one point and now he's helping the Brooklyn Historical Society mm. um put together this this project which is basically it's an app on your phone 
where you can you can tap on the dots and find out and you can get pictures from different years mm. of these buildings of these historic places and and they're just all around you and and I think yeah. it's it's um, it's kind of probably what you get with these these stories too and and now he's 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 allowing people to eventually they're they're going to have it so that people can start to upload their stories to the app and mm. you can start to go through and learn more about you know stuff that people pick up on or they're just going to you know compile information and then also add new pictures as they go along and I think I think it's I think we we kind of need to know the, our our own history a little bit better than than the the, yeah. the books that the, the the few books that we've gotten our information from. No question. So about the, that. I can't imagine like going out. I, I remember one time being with you where we were we were way up north, Lake Vermilion, yeah. right? And you oh and, yeah and, and yeah you, and you you walked across the lake to go talk to somebody who you were going to be. <laughs> I actually drove, but uh, it was, oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't walk. Wise. I didn't walk. The, it was it was a few <laughs> miles, but uh, it was a. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and that you know that was uh, it's an island in on Lake Vermilion, which is at the northern edge of Minnesota, almost to the Canadian border, uh, the north edge of Lake Vermilion, and it's a huge lake. It has more. Uh, uh, truth, check this later, but I think I heard at one point Lake Vermilion has more shoreline than California. Because it's got islands uh, and, yeah. and 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 so it's this huge lake. There's an island on the northern edge called Wolf Island, and uh, you know that's the name that was given to it by the settlers and the white map makers. But um, there was an architect here in the Twin Cities, um, and I'm going to forget his name, um, but uh, he he homesteaded it. Literally, uh, Theodore Roosevelt basically gave it to him, which yeah. again. He took it because when he got there, there were um, Ojibwe on the island, and mm-hmm. it was a canoe workshop on one end of the island. And he wrote about them, and he he documented everything about it. Oh, and he wrote about, uh, you know, he he didn't from his writings. He really didn't do anything on the southern end of that island. They just he considered that for them, and he, he befriended many of them. Um, but he built a cabin on the north end. Um, he tried to domesticate the woodchucks or the squirrels. Um, <laughs> he went a little, he little crazy. But he um, he wrote all of it down. And and one of my favorite pieces of writings that he did. And so he eventually passed that on. Eventually, his children took ownership, and yeah. and they didn't have a purpose for it. They didn't go up there. They yeah. moved across the country, um, and they worked with the Trust for Public Land. Uh, to acquire it through um, TPL has a revolving fund from the Northwoods. Uh, it's called Northwoods um, Land Protection Fund, which really helps mm-hmm. acquire inholdings. Um, but one of my favorite pieces of writings that he has, it's from 1936, I think. And he leaves his home, which is on Red Cedar Lane, which is in southwest Minneapolis. It's this singular uh, cul-de-sac lane um, and and it's it's a really unique road that he created that whole road mm. and built his first house on there. Um, and it's a triptych from leaving his driveway there to Ver- Lake Vermilion, Wolf Island in oh. 1936. It's wow. a 30-page document describing every city, every place. And there's a couple things in there where, one, he drives by Forest Lake and he says, Forest Lake, no poet will ever be from here. <laughs> and I have nothing against Forest Lake, but that just cracked me up. Um and then there's another note when he looks at um, some of the iron ore piles in the mines, and it's a note he makes in there, something like, oh, what Hitler would give for these. We must never allow him to have oh, wow. this this iron ore or something like that. Yeah. Just, And it's just this sense of – and just, you know, it has very little to do with this place he was going to. But yeah, what's but interesting – place and time is it, – Place and time. And it's somebody – even 1936, which was, you know, there's somebody who still found this need to leave the city – 
and yeah. go find quiet solitude out in nature. Yeah. And and he he basically did his own version of a throw like experience and came back and forth. But he was an active living architect. There's a church in St. Paul that he's that still stands that he designed. Yeah. Um, and and it's still to this day is one of those lakes that you can almost kind of have that experience. Yeah. You know that you you go to most of the lakes in Minnesota within three hours of the Twin Cities area. And it's they're kind of mini suburbs. Yeah, there's <laughs> and, there's docks that lead to very large houses. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. So that's yeah. that's that's pretty incredible. And yeah. and I imagine that's probably part of the work of of TPL is to keep some of these you know just the the space the the nature spaces too. It, it's uh, their their motto is land for people. Yeah. Um, so it really is about making spaces for people. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was so that was and I was able to um, travel around the country on that and. Um, I think uh, there's, you know, one of the more powerful moments I had working there was um, I had a chance to participate in the 50th anniversary of the Brown versus Board of Education yeah, yeah. Uh, historic yeah. um, uh, uh, Supreme Court decision. And it was because years earlier, the Trust for Public Land had helped uh, with the acquisition of the school in uh, Topeka, Kansas. Uh, oh, is that right? Uh, yeah, in uh, Topeka, Kansas. And, uh, um, and it was... So they helped make it into, and then that was the idea was it would become the Brown versus Board of Education National Park, National Historic yeah. Site. And so um, when I got to, when I was there is when they finally opened it up in 2004. And um, so I went down for this, and it was, um, for me, it was a profound moment because it was this place that really, you know, it's just a modest yeah. school building that yeah. you've seen every small town in America. Yeah. Um, and yet it was this place that, changed our country that really yeah. uh, it started to um, move us all to being one and we're still working on it no yeah. question yeah. but um i was there and i was you know stand on the on the stage was um uh i think there was two supreme court justice justices um about a dozen uh senators uh there was uh congressmen there was three uh members of the cabinet and and it was um, I remember I was like three rows from Jesse Jackson, and it was just this huge gathering wow. of America. And it was, and I'm a little ashamed to admit that the awareness for me was this moment of like, you know, this is not other people's story. This is this is I'm in. This is my country. This is this yeah. is who we are. Yeah. This pain. This this. Um, this uh, struggle of segregation that c- comes through slavery to segregation to to where we are now, which is still, but it's it's it was for me a profound moment of yeah. this is my story. It's not another other people in this country's story. This is who we are. Is this this constant figuring out about how different people live together and yeah. grow together. Yeah. Um, and for me, that was just uh, and the land yeah. is a huge part of it. I mean, this and this, yeah. you know, like you said it earlier. Yeah, you know, it's it's it is it is our story that you know we came in and and took over land and right. you know that the, there's there's a there's a struggle that's going on constantly with our own history through the land. Yeah, that is probably. You know, it'll never completely resolve, but I think that's part of the work that we're always doing. Well, this is the thing that I I love about the work I'm doing now, too, is, um, you know, when we talk about how, uh, you know, you were asking me about health and, and, and wellness, and I think parks and public land and public commons is this very accessible arena 
in which we can live a, a healthy civic life. Yeah. Like we can debate with each other. We can argue. We can actually, it, it is where it's, it's about, it's, it's one step detached and it's personal because we all have personal meaning to it. Yeah. But it's also where it's accessible to everybody. So your local park projects, if you live around it, you can have a stake in it. You can be part of it. You can volunteer. You can coach. You can um, do cleanup projects. You can actively be part of it. Yeah. And then as a result, you also know that this space feeds you back. Like our, everybody can tell you where their closest park is. When you yeah. buy to any new, when you talk to any new homeowner, one of the first things they will tell you is which park was, is how close to their house. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, in fact, they'll probably tell you that before they tell you the number of bathrooms they have in the house. They yeah. will say, "Oh, it's just down the street from Matthews Park. It's 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 a three blocks from um, Lake Harriet. It's uh, you know, it's it's a it's quarter mile from the Mississippi River." And and yeah. and that is you know we orient ourselves by that um, and through parks. Yeah, and and that's, <clears throat> I mean, I I don't know what the on average, where we stand, you can probably speak to this, but I think Minneapolis has just an incredible number of the I mean, amount of space, yeah. a number of parks that have yeah. been set as, this this space that's been set aside for people. Minneapolis is a was a great story, and uh, we're still we're still improving. Um, so Minneapolis has been ranked for five years in a row by the Trust for Public Land uh, as the number one uh, park system in America, and. Uh, if I can di- divert a little bit to the story of Minneapolis, which is, is unique to this country in yeah. a lot of ways. So um, uh, about 140 years ago, this is uh, uh, Frederick Law Olmsted was, was, had designed Central Park. And, and Central Park itself was what Olmsted did as a landscape architect was revolutionary. The idea of setting aside swaths of land yeah. in cities to make yeah. them livable wasn't on the radar. So yeah. At the time, um, the city business leaders uh, were starting to get really frustrated with the city government of, of Minneapolis and, uh, and pushing to make new parkland and set aside the, the lakes that were off in the distance outside of the city boundaries, uh, what we now know as uh, – what we did know as Calhoun, Bidet, McCoska, Lake Harriet, all yeah. those – the chain of lakes in Minneapolis were yeah. out in the country. and um, But the city government wasn't interested. So the, these leaders – uh, Loring, Lowry, names we know today, yeah. went to the legislature, the state legislature, and got an approval to put on the ballot a voter initiative that created an independent elected body that manages all the public land in the city of Minneapolis, mm. the Minneapolis Park and Rec Board. So whereas most cities, you've got a mayor that has a department, the parks department. Yeah, yeah. Um, in Minneapolis, you have a mayor. And then on a wholly different entity, you have the park board, which is nine elected commissioners who hire a superintendent. Oh, okay. And it's it's fair to say that at different times in this history of the city, the superintendent and the mayor were really in, uh, peers in terms of their level of government and their influence in how the city ran and what, what the impact in the city was. And I would say that uh, other than a handful of really uh, historic mayors in this city – the superintendents have had a bigger impact in the history of the city and the unfolding of it. Yeah. Um, so they started setting aside land, getting land donations, and really um, uh, committing to what we now see as the Grand Rounds, which is a historically designated um, trail system parkway that ra- runs through the city, and um, it connects all of the parks, the Chain of Lakes, the Mississippi River. Yeah. Um, we have more are our almost all of our public waterways lakes creeks and rivers are set aside with public land on the about bordering them and the value of the land leading into the neighborhoods then is greater so so if you had property that was on each of those lakes that'd be high value property but one one property removed would be dropped 
precipitously in value. Yeah. But in Minneapolis, that value spreads deeper into the neighborhoods because everybody owns and gets to use and appreciate the lakes yeah. and the river. Um, so that's the park system was set up that way. And then in the 60s and 70s, um, there was a whole new movement of rec centers for, for uh, addressing uh, urban density and growth. And, and so you have in Minneapolis 50 rec centers in it, the park it's system. In, it's really incredible. Yeah. I mean, and, what, and, the, and the volume of people that they, they go through these rec centers and, and use yeah. them. I mean, we, we've used them for sports for activities, for classes, community meetings, community meetings. They also, you know, they, they host these kind of like park events. We have, you know, movies in the park and it's it's almost every night in the summer, there is a movie or music in a park that's for free across the city. And that's the park board. They, they, they run that, you know, the, um, the, uh, the park board is in the summertime, the number one and year round, the number two provider of free and reduced lunch to, to kids. So huh. the school system being one, but in the summers, the parks actually offer two full meals a day. Is that right? And they open around through the three, through the camps or through just it, if you show up as a kid and you want a meal, they have a, they oh, have the meals. Um, if your kid is signed up for a, for a, I, I remember with our kids when we signed them up for the different classes, um, different camps, you didn't have to pack a lunch that came with it. Yeah. Um, and it's just this sense of if you live near a park, you should you know it's easy to provide a meal to a kid. So they'll yeah. actually. Um, they might open at three, but they might serve lunch at three, and then serve dinner at five five thirty. So a kid will get two meals a day. Wow! Um, and it's you know it's it's it is this web that's that people do, I don't want to say take for granted because I think yeah. everyone in here in Minneapolis yeah. um, knows loves appreciates the parks and what they are for themselves. What I don't think people realize is the multitude and variety of ways in which the parks serve so many. Different So in your trajectory, yeah, you, you, yeah. you took a little detour for a number of years and did, did. A, a, amazing work yeah. uh, with Playworks. I um, I really have been lucky in the opportunities that opened up for me at the times I was looking for them. But um, uh, I, after about uh, a little over a decade with the Trust for Public Land, um, a friend of mine approached me and said there's an organization that's getting set up here in the Twin Cities that is a national organization that um, I think you'd be interested in and well-suited for. I had, while I was at the Trust for Public Land, um, I had gotten my master's in public affairs. So I had um, was looking to lead an organization. And so um, I was hired as the executive director for the Twin Cities office of mm-hmm. Playworks. Yeah. Um, and Playworks is this national organization, again, um, that is focused on um, inspiring play uh, in schools, injecting play for health, that every kid deserves and gets a chance to play and Mm -hmm. and it looks at uh and i i I hesitate because i know my friends out in in oakland and around the country who used to you know for messaging i just completely got their 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 uh mission statement wrong but (laughs) but it really is about play um but what uh, you know you look at schools the primary time of play that everybody thinks about is recess but recess is also this challenging part of the education school day because um the staff are there to teach their the classroom teachers are experts in their area, mm-hmm. and recess is this uh, sort of forgotten area that actually is this void in the day in which not enough thought has been put into. Yeah, yeah. And Playworks is a partner for schools that bring young, energetic, or young at heart and energetic people and put them into the school community for the full school day. Yeah. 
and they create an environment on the playground that allows kids to explore play um, in ways that is, is uh, welcoming. Uh, they make sure there's basic ground rules so kids play games without uh, harming each other. Yeah. But they also feel welcome to join games. So you, on, a, on a PlayWorks playground recess, you will see um, many different varieties of tag going on, a game of kickball, some organized mm-hmm. uh, uh, sports games. And you'll see you know, free play and, and playground. But you, uh, for a child's experience in it, they know that they are welcome at any place to join in a game. Yeah. There's um, there's both adults and older kids who are there to help get the kids into games and mm-hmm. help make sure the games are fair and that there there's some semblance of rules. Yeah. Um, they, we've heard the feedback is that by having a play playworks in a school, um, kids the the number of kids who who uh, come in with injuries or come and avoid recess because of, of they just are not feeling welcome there yeah. drastically change. And yeah. then in a school, it changes the number of the bullying incidents drastically. Yeah. So yeah. there's less bullying. Um, and, it, you know, play is... And the sense critical. of community, I, I imagine. I mean, because yeah. you, it's, it, you have someone... I mean, it's, it's true of, uh, say, having a coach or something. It's something as simple as that. You, yeah. You, the, the, there's a, a standard that's set. There's a, there's a safety you know, mechanism built in. And there's someone sort of, you know, bridging the the little gaps that tend to happen in those situations. Yeah. You know, well, so I had a principal once explained it to me, you know, I said, you know, it's a, he he said he was a huge advocate for us. And um, he, he said, Tom, if, if you walked into a mall and told everybody in that mall to go out into the parking lot and they had to stand there for, they had to go to the parking lot for 20 minutes and then come back in one is in the first twenty minutes, you would you would people who would know what to do if they don't have equipment. The adults don't know how to play. Yeah. It's not that the kids don't know how to play. It's you have to create the circumstances so that healthy play can happen and you can feel comfortable in it. And yeah. I think um, what you then do is create the norms that create active play to do well. And you know, America's a sports society, and 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 on, we have fields for everything. You know, football, baseball, lacrosse, tennis. But if you use those fields without some boundaries and rules, it, it, it's chaos. Yeah. Every And so it doesn't mean you have to have that same structure of rules of everything, but you at least have to have some norms that allow kids to, to, to really have fun and play and feel okay. And, and the, with Playworks, the staff, the, the Playworks coaches, who are amazing individuals who are changing the world, they need to demonstrate to the kids that it's okay to – not worry about making a fool of yourself to yeah. just be fun yeah. goofy and to be the silliest person in front of them so it gives kids license to be goofy to try something to to fail to fall to miss yeah. and and then you try it again and you try it again and if you try it and you feel like that was fun even in the the mishap that happened you'll try it again but yeah. if you feel like it, you have to perform well or you don't or you'll be ashamed that that eliminates p- play yeah. um so that's that's it's pretty amazing yeah, it's uh, it's and it's it is uh, it's an organization that I wish every school um, had a chance to to bring into their schools. Yeah, or at least learn l- learn from what they've yeah you know, what they've gathered. I mean, uh, we say twenty years they've been doing it. Yeah, yeah, actually it is twenty. Yep, yeah, that's that's awesome. So 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 how did you end up in in your current role? Yeah, so um, I wasn't. Uh, I was really starting to hit a stride. A good staff here in the Twin Cities with PlayWorks and um, the Minneapolis Parks Foundation had gone through a leadership transition, and so they were looking for hiring an executive director. I had known several of people who were on the board through um, my time at the Trust for Public Land, yeah. um, and uh, 
they they approached me and and said this we think you'd be a good candidate would you put your name into the mix um and you know it's a young organization and i i had been aware of it for some time um and really felt like this is a moment like i actually think i can i've got an idea of what the organization can grow into yeah yeah um i think they were ready for it um and you know i love i also love that aspect as we talked about earlier about place and storytelling mm -hmm. that really suits me well so um uh, it, it matched well with both my experience and my skill sets and a few other things. Um, uh, that was October 2014. Um, they were – the organization had a huge – has a huge vision, and that is to complete the vision that um, was set out by some of the founders, Theater Worth, um, of – finally creating a continuous park system all the way up the Mississippi River from the St. Anthony Falls. So if you're familiar with Minneapolis, St. Anthony Falls is the only waterfall in the whole Mississippi River, and it's right in the middle of downtown Minneapolis as it flows yeah. through Minneapolis. And that's where um, the, uh, you know, that that falls, that that drop in the water is what created all of the mills that, that fueled the economy in Minneapolis. Yeah. So General Mills, Pillsbury, um, all of the industries, the timber industry really started there. From the falls up through the northern edge of Minneapolis, mm -hmm. the Mississippi River had has always been industrial and rail lines. Um, down south of the falls, past the falls, downriver is um, a beautiful river gorge that uh, Worth and Horace Cleveland were able to set aside. Um, but the rest is not. So one is the Parks Foundation had this partnership with the Park Board, and that's a distinction. We're a nonprofit that's uh, – and most cities have this mechanism now where you've got – uh, a nonprofit entity. Now we aren't there just for the park board itself. We really are about transforming human life through parks and public space yeah. by aligning philanthropy with community vision. Most of the time, the park board is our key partner. But mm -hmm. you can have the city, you can have county, the county. Uh, you could have uh, other nonprofits that are doing good work within the park system. Um, but we are the partner with the park board on this big vision called River First, and that's really looking at the Mississippi River and and starting to create new parkland that then will have impacts within the neighborhoods. And some yeah. of the neighborhoods that align the park or are cut off from the river or line the river or are cut off from the river are some of the poorest uh, yeah. generationally in the city. And so um, I, I truly believe that parks transform human lives. It's yeah. not uh, yeah. it's it fits. I mean, it's it's not just that I agree with the mission. I just believe it that. And so you have to do it well so that uh, that the parks don't, uh, you know, there's challenges now in communities that uh, parks can displace people. When values start increasing, some people don't get to benefit. So right. we've got to do it well. But um, this vision of finally connecting these, and I believe that part of the reasons why these neighborhoods have been um, strained with poverty and health issues for, for generations is in part because of the lack of connections to the river and the waterways. There's yeah. still parks up there, but they're just yeah. not the same um, level, and they don't have that connection to this resource like the river. And, and what do you think it is about parks that <clears> – Yeah. Um, parks – I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I'm also coming to it from, from the point of view of um, – so, so one of my experiences living in in New York for thirteen yeah. years, yeah, um, a good chunk of that time without a without a car, is that when you, especially in an urban environment, you we, you you become sort of your 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 neighborhood uh, 
becomes the place that you you know you you spend your most time and if if you don't have access to that green space mm-hmm. when the especially like in the it's sometimes in the winter months sometimes in the in the summer when things heat up and it just starts to get gritty and smelly and mm-hmm. you know having having that green space i mean i i i'm i don't i'm not a, a knowledgeable environmentalist but i know that what what green does mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of absorbing yeah, co2 and right. that stuff that's that's already an air quality thing but then there's just the 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 space itself and i think uh, our connection to being on a planet like there there were, there were times when i lived in new york where i felt like i could go for months at a time and almost not even realize mm-hmm. i was like Next to a river, or part of a natural system, <laughs> part of a natural system at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, it's and and I and you know, in Minneapolis, I'm sure there are neighborhoods where the the access in is, isn't as good. And you know, the the thing about not not having transportation is and and yeah. being being poor is that you're in in those spaces. I mean, I I grew up without a lot, but I grew up next to a park, right. and I spent all of my time. Next to this park, right? I just I was always on grass. Is it, so um, in Minneapolis right now. There is ninety seven percent of the population in the city is within a ten minute walk of a park, that's, and that's that's incredible. It's incredible. And then there's the question of the qualities and how those parks serve the the communities around them. So there's still work to be done, but um, that's one of the reasons why we rank really well. San Francisco actually just became the first city in America that can say a hundred percent of its residents are within a ten minute walk of a park. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's studies out there that that really more and more talk about the fact that there's uh, health. Uh, you know, hospitals are starting to look at natural areas as mm-hmm. part of their health delivery system, having parks nearby. Um, uh, there's a there's a organization. I met this doctor uh, when I was in Salzburg, participating in the Salzburg Global Seminar. Um, he's there. He's starting Parks RX, and he is is literally prescribing parks yeah. to his patients yeah. and and he's done some research and has some done some analysis of um a series of different reasons and needs and and basically qualities of a park and depending on what his patients needs are or conditions are yeah. he'll prescribe a park for that reason yeah. but you know just the act of walking in nature can calm uh, lower your blood pressure there's all sorts of and, and you're, you know because what, what what i work with a lot is nervous system you yeah. know issues and you know when when our fight or flight response goes up for long enough periods of time, yeah. it becomes a patterned response. And yes. you know, not having access to you know getting outside of this. Like we were talking earlier before we got on about about uh, you know some of the the, the increase in things like uh, autism spectrum, ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think some of those things are part of just you know being sort of surrounded by our new electronic environment mm. and that actually getting out of that. I mean, there's probably a, vi- a vibrational science to why some of these things are happening yeah. that, you know, the, the, the vibration of nature and the way that that sort of starts to influence us is such a totally different thing. There's, and, I'm sure there's something to that. I, yeah. I mean, how you test and study, but, but just, just the fact act of walking, um, you, I know that I, if I'm getting overloaded and stressed, a walk through my neighborhood or walk through uh, a park will help me because I'm not looking at a screen. I'm just yeah. having to, and it's about blood flow. I mean, it's just about yeah. so many aspects of it. Yeah. But um, the thing with the parks versus just a space you can walk, a sidewalk on a busy street, 
is uh, one is you feel like it's for humans. Yeah. Um, so our city streets in America aren't necessarily always for humans. Right. Um, the other is that you, if it's a park, you know it's you're supposed to be there, even if it's a a, a public uh, uh, a lawn that's part of a, a you know a university, a campus with a lawn or um, a corporate headquarters at a lawn. It is you're there by the permission of that entity that allowed you to be there. Yeah. Parks are not, there's no permission required. Um, now, I know that there's some people who don't always feel comfortable in parks, and that's part of what we need to continue to do to, to assure that um, the parks are there and that they're welcoming for all. But that sense of I belong here is really valuable. And it's not I belong here, um, even in your own yard, you're responsible for it too. And and parks are one step away from being, I don't have to mow that. I don't have to care yeah, for that. Exactly. I just get to walk on it. And, and you may recognize things that somebody should get attention to, a cracked sidewalk or, a, you know, a broken water fountain. But there's a, there's, it's not your full responsibility and yet it's your full privilege to be there. Yeah. And that's, I think that is important. Yeah. Um, the other is it's social. So when you go to a park, when you run around a park, um, you don't know the backgrounds. You're just, if you're running like uh, the chain of lakes, you know, you've got, we've got these trails around the lakes in Minneapolis where you just get on with your shoes and you just go. And, and you don't know who's running next to you. And I've talked to executives who said that they've, they, what they realize and, and recognize is, is it allows them to be, it removes sort of barriers and, and, um, uh, uh, classifications of who's who and who's what. Yeah, it's sort yeah. of in in a That's healthy true. park system. And and again, it's you strive for this. It's not always there, yeah. but everybody should be on even common ground, literally on common ground. Yeah. Um, that's what the parks are. There are common ground. We yeah. own it commonly. Yeah. Um, so I think that's another piece of it. That's huge. So what's the history of the Minneapolis Park the, Foundation? The Park Foundation. So it's it's relatively new. It's only um, – it was founded in 2004. Okay. Um, and and what is – what we've seen across the country, and this is – we've we've been fortunate in the city of Minneapolis because of an independently elected board. They get to determine how to prioritize where funds are spent within mm-hmm. the park system. But they're not making choices of should we spend money on parks or on um, street repairs or yeah. on – police response times. That's That decision is already separated. So okay. then you have a governing board that's focus is parks. Um, and and for 140 years, they've done a great job. Um, there's still a lot of philanthropy through the history of our park system, people giving land, people giving time. Um, you know, Eloise uh, Butler, what she's done, she's not the Eloise Butler Wildflower Garden. Many people in Minneapolis know today. Um, this is a woman who really um, was the first gardener, but she committed her life, almost a vocation to making that garden. The philanthropy of just her time was incredible. But around um, the 2000s, cities were starting to realize there was this gap between, one is cities are at, we are living in the era of cities. We yeah, are, yeah. in fact, we, the anthrop- uh, we more people live in cities today. Um, the, we, we hit this point in like 2009 where the majority of the human population lives in urbanized areas. Yeah. That's the first time yeah. in history. Um, and histories in, uh, cities in America are some of the um, safest, most vibrant places to live. Right. Aside from what you might hear on the media, they're actually really uh, – this, th- this is the golden age for cities in some ways. Yeah. Um, but what we're seeing is this pairing between where the, the need from what the government can do – 
to provide healthy parks and the demand and what the private sector wants to do, yes. there's a gap. Yeah. And so what we were created to do, and cities around the country have been doing this for decades. You know, you've got the Central Park Conservancy in New York. You have um, conservancies throughout, uh, the Fairmount Conservancy in, in Philadelphia. You have these conservancies that were built up around one space mm. that, that have become legacy institutions. Um, you have other organizations that are focused on um, providing, you know, needs, whether it's uh, leagues or, or um, supporting activities in the parks. But more and more, there's um, the Parks Foundation is an organization that helps connect, whether it's a specific need or purpose or an area, connects philanthropy to what a community vision is. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't say that we create these community visions that are way beyond the taxpayer funds available, yep. and then we have to force philanthropy to do it. Yeah. And it's not saying we just find a bunch of rich people who want to do something, and then they go get to choose what money is spent. It's about taking the ideas where people want to give – and, and it were a good idea that make, makes sense for the community and make sure they connect. Yeah. Um, and so we, in some ways, lead that vision, like we were doing with the Park Board on River mm-hmm. First, saying this needs to be done. It's been generations in the, in the making. Let's get it done. And we bring the idea to major donors and corporations to, to, to invest in it. Um, and, and in other cases, there may be a donor who says, I see this need in the system. I'd really love to give to it. And our role isn't just to say, yes, it'll happen, but to say, you know, that aligns with the, the plan. Yeah. And your gift is going to actually get it a little bit further along. We'd love to help you help us make it happen. Yeah. Um, you know, philanthropy is, what is it, uh, Greek for uh, love of brother. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is about service. Um, yeah. And I think... So that's our role is to help people support something they already love. The other thing is this, is that, you know, the park board in Minneapolis and park agencies across the country are huge governmental agencies. So the park board has a budget, depending on how you cut it, it's it's roughly a a $90 million annual operating budget um, when all said and done. Um, So giving a dollar doesn't – isn't going to change the trajectory. But – if people don't have a chance to give that dollar that's given from me voluntarily versus the $10 that are taken from me because I, I'm a citizen and I yeah, pay taxes yeah. and I'm glad to do it, but it's not a choice. It's it's a choice to pay. It is, it's more of a uh, – it's part of an obligation. That, that the money you give and the time you give creates an affinity to a place and yeah. to the purpose in yep. much deeper ways. So the dollar from philanthropy has a power to then connect that person – and gives them meaning to that yeah. dollar. Um, I think civic health is something we don't talk a lot about yeah. anymore. And parks are this place in which if you've got a good idea and you can get people energized around it, it happens every day in America. Um, and you can inspire those who have resources to get it done and those who have time to help in- implement it. You can do something amazing. And at the end of the day, you've changed your community, whether it's building a playground um, replanting and transforming a, uh, a, a mowed lawn area into a community garden and a, a, a more natural habitat, or constructing a whole new park uh, with you know fantastic architecture that really inspires people. Yeah. That done with philanthropy has much much more meaning than just done Absolutely. by the government. And 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 in in most of those situations, these these. Uh, these projects and parks that you get involved in, you're also meeting, you know, maybe it's a handful of people in your community. Yeah. But 
you know, it's 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 very easy to not meet that that handful of people in your community. You know, <laughs> with the going going from your cubicle to, right. to your car to your home, it, that's that's very easy. And and even even going to the park. I mean, if if you have kids or a dog or something, it's very easy yeah. to sort of connect. But if you don't have something like that, it, just the act of be, becoming involved in a project connects you and then now this is this is part of you this is you know right right and it's and then when you see people using it it's it's you know service gratitude those are really key parts to a healthy life yeah and and parks are a great venue for people to provide service or to to express gratitude yeah um and i see it even you know it it allows so you might have somebody who's um Who's is not feeling well, ailing, and just just the exercise of go, the act of going out for a walk around a lake, or through a park, is 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 enough for them for the day. Yeah. But in that process, they're also seeing maybe a t-ball game. Maybe they will see a couple runners run by. They'll see a couple dogs. They'll see somebody fishing. Um, they'll see a other people. They recognize, a neighbor uh, they recognize. They will feel like they are part of something in yeah. the community, and and that. There's no way to measure the value of that, but it's it's incredibly important that we feel like we are part of the place we live. Yeah. So so is there is there anything people could do to reach out and become more involved um, if they did want to donate uh, funds or time? Or is, is there a, a website to go to? Or yeah yeah. Um, thanks for asking. It's uh, so Minneapolis Parks Foundation is um, MPLS Parks Foundation. Dot org, um, and there's there's many ways you can give. We are we're a member based organization in the sense of we really are what we do is is funded through donations from individuals. So making a donation helps us allows us to get out and do new things. Yeah. Um, we have different special projects. So one example, one thing we're doing this summer is uh, we're doing this partnership with the Minneapolis Foundation, Minnesota Public Radio. Uh, the Parks Foundation and Little Free Libraries is is supporting us with some technical expertise, but we're putting 50 Little Free Libraries in 50 parks in the city of Minneapolis. Oh, that's great! Um, and and it's a way, and then we've stocked them in partnership with all these folks. With with um, I think there's over 100 books for each library to start out with, mm. and, and and we've done our best to get. Uh, a variety of languages available uh, to represent the communities those books will be yeah. uh, circulated as well as um, different cultural experiences from those books so that it's not just so that the books match the community they serve um, but that's an idea where people can have uh, you know people have funded us to be here to help make that idea happen yeah. um, and then the big ideas you know we are working on this river first campaign where we're raising 12 point well we're raising um, over 18 million dollars to create two new parks on the Mississippi River and um, as a result one will be at the at, right at the Stone Arch Bridge there in yeah. downtown Minneapolis at the St. Anthony Falls um, and, and the other one is actually connecting for the first time or for in a new way North Minneapolis which is an area of Minneapolis that um, is generation, suffers generational poverty and is disconnected from the river yeah. it'll be the first um, connection to the Grand Rounds it'll add 40 new miles that's of trail. so great so there's lots of ways folks can get involved. And then, you know, we aren't the end-all be-all to access to get to your park. So yeah, walking yeah. into a rec center, um, your neighborhood association, there's there's all sorts of projects and there's there's organizations that do different things throughout the system. Um, but I would say that if you see – if there's things you like about your park system, your park, um, getting involved and learning more is really helpful. Yeah. Well, man, thanks so much for for coming yeah. out here and uh, sharing your expertise, your 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 uh, past, uh, how you it's got fun. to doing this kind of work. It's incredible work, and the and the vision for Minneapolis to come. Yeah, 
You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. It's this is uh, it's fun to talk about it, and uh, um, it's really fun work. So I feel really lucky to be able to do it. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thanks. Tom Evers, folks. So great he could stop by for a conversation. As I continue to explore this topic of health, how we keep it, and develop ways to improve it, I find the conversations drifting back to nature. And I find myself pondering, what is our nature as human beings? With our shift to urban living, what have we gained and what have we lost? We're living longer, but are we living better? I don't know if I have the answers to this, so I'll just let it hang there for you to explore. But one thing I do know is that I'm a huge fan of parks. And Tom reminded me that not only are they beautiful spaces, they are ours. And we should use them and support them. If you like to give your time or money to Minneapolis Parks, it's very easy to get involved. Go to mplsparksfoundation.org. There you'll find a Donate tab. Click on it. Sign up for a free membership. You can also donate uh, $5 a month or sign up for $5 a month donation uh, like I have. And if you would like to give more, by all means, you can do that. And also get the newsletter and find ways to volunteer on that site. You can also just go to your local rec center and ask how you can get involved in your own neighborhood. It's a great way to meet new people and have an immediate impact on your community. Thanks again for listening. As always, I love to hear from you. Tell me what you thought of this topic and, and conversation. If you have anything to share, please do send me an email. Jeremy at highwaytohealthpodcast.com. If there's something we missed or have some great thoughts, I'll, I'll share it on the air with everyone. As always, be kind to yourself, take care of each other, and be good to your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.